Hi, this is Esti, host of the Friday A Public Affair. I hope you help us by contributing to WORT and you can also subscribe to the podcast. Bye. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. No change without struggle. No one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle. No one in power. WORT 89.9 FM Listener Sponsored Community Radio Madison, Wisconsin And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. My guest today is David Swanson. He is an author, activist, journalist, and radio host. He's executive director of World Beyond War and campaign coordinator for Roots Action. His books include War is a Lie. He blogs at davidswanson.org. And WarIsACrime.org. He hosts Talk World Radio. He is a Nobel Peace Prize nominee and a U.S. Peace Prize recipient. And uh, hello, David. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, hi, Esty and Summer and Jade. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you for um, acknowledging everybody. And um, David, before I even ask you what um, World Beyond War is, I, I must ask you this. We just listened to the BBC News, which was six minutes of almost nothing other than war. Um, things seem very bleak to me at this point, uh, especially in uh, Gaza. What, what did you think as you were listening to the news? Well, war makes great news, which is often why media outlets uh, help nudge the world toward war and prefer that uh, that conflicts move toward war. It's wonderful for ratings, uh, and it's important that we get informed about war, although many media outlets do a horrible, horrible job of that. Uh, but it is important to remember that while people say there's always a war someplace, There's also always millions of places without a war. Uh, and the most war-mongering nations uh, in the world, including this one that we live in, almost everybody does everything they can to avoid war. Uh, and the people who take part in it, even pushing buttons thousands of miles away from the danger, suffer horribly from it. Um, the war is not something we need. There's not no hospital on earth has ever recorded a case of suffering from war deprivation. Humans do just fine without it. It's our governments. It's our profiteers. It's the people who who make money off wars and and elections off wars uh, that we have to deal with. And, and we'll be just fine without the entire institution of of mass killing. Mm -hmm. Well, so right now we're seeing basically two major wars, I think. One is the one in Gaza that we heard so much about um, in the news. Israel has um, yet to agree to, I mean, we're not even talking about ceasefire, I suppose. We're talking about pause. No fuel will be allowed at all. Ambulances attacked. And then the other one is, of course, Ukraine. And in both of them, both of them are wars that um, were started by, definitely not by the United States, but that the United States is deeply, deeply involved in. And if not for the United States, uh, probably wouldn't be as terrible as they are. And it also looks like Biden is very interested in eventually having a war with China, which is just absolutely incomprehensible to me. Um, so why is it that the United States is always so interested in war that it finances wars all over the world, that it has bases all over the world. And it really doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat who's in the White House. What, what is it about the United States 
that it is so warlike? It's all kinds of things. Um, remember, there are not just two wars. Once there are two wars uh, in the media, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, there, there are wars in Sudan and Azerbaijan and Yemen and all across North Africa and the world. There are level war levels of violence in Mexico, in the United States, with the mass shootings and the police shootings. There are, you know, but. These two wars, I think, are critically important. One is the greatest risk of nuclear war we've ever seen. Uh, and the other is the most blatant and rapid genocidal mass murder of thousands of people in a matter of days with plans to ethnically cleanse two million people uh, from a country. Uh, so that it is important that we focus on these two wars, uh, but there are many others. And, yes, and, and thanks for almost them. all yeah. of them have US weapons. And almost all of them have U.S. weapons on both sides. Uh, and almost no place that has wars that we think of as violent and war-torn manufactures any weapons at all. Ukraine is a big exception to that general rule for decades. Uh, and it's important to understand that the U.S. government is completely corrupt. I can't say completely, but darn near. I mean, 10,000 dead, you get one senator raising an objection uh, you know you're going to need 660,000 dead to have a to have the senate uh take action uh you have uh, media outlets that are very corrupt uh, financially and simply in terms of their thinking. You have a, a culture that has normalized war, uh, that celebrates war, paid for by, by tax dollars, but celebrates war before sporting events, uh, that that thanks troops for wars that, that you oppose. You still thank people for taking part in them. Uh, you know, Starbucks was asked, why would you put a coffee shop in Guantanamo death camp? And it, well, <sighs> it would be, it would be a political act not to, you know, because, because war is, is simply acceptable with the air we breathe. This is why president Biden wanted to fund four wars in one bill, because when you can find a Congress member willing to get the nerve and decency and courage to challenge the entire institution on one war, to say no to the revolving door and the media appearances and the bills getting votes on and the amendments getting included and everything that comes with following orders, to say no to all of that, the, the campaign contributions as we call them, other countries call them bribes, uh, to, to stand up to all of that on one war is extraordinary. But four wars on the same day, nobody's going to do it. You know, it, you'd think in a, in a normal country, you know, four wars would be four times harder to, to pay for than one war. In the United States, it's it's the reverse because the norm is supporting war and it takes something extraordinary to oppose it. Yeah. So um, I had Norman Solomon as a guest a few weeks ago and uh, he used the term the killing trade, which I haven't heard before, but I thought it was so apt. And um, let me ask you about that. Do you know the size and the scope of the killing trade here in the United States and, and maybe beyond? Just how much profit is made out of killing people all over the world? A great deal. You know, the, the hearings in the Congress back in the 1930s called these people the merchants of death. Uh, and there's going to be a merchants of death war crimes tribunal online uh, beginning November 12th when I'm going to be speaking in, in Madison uh, at the university. And we're going to watch a little bit of it live. Uh, you can you can watch that at merchantsofdeath.org. Uh, but the, the money just spent on militaries by governments is well over $2 trillion a year. Uh, and that's with using the figures from the U.S. government that place U.S. military spending a little bit under half of the entire world put together, a little bit under half of a trillion. There are many calculations that put U.S. military spending actually well over a trillion, even a trillion and a half dollars a year. Uh, and of course, 
when you see these proposals every few months, let's throw another hundred billion at wars uh, in free weapons for other countries. And you've got people across the United States waving Israeli flags and Ukrainian flags with this sort of proxy patriotism with their tax dollars going to destroy these countries in the name of defending these countries. Uh, you know, people wonder, is the money just unlimited? What does it matter if there's just endless money every time Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman or Wall Street wants it? And yet it's it's staggering that with 30 billion or so, you know, with 3% of that trillion dollars a year, you could end starvation on earth. With not much over 1%, you could end the lack of clean drinking water on earth. You know, it's fractions of this money and you could transform the lives of millions of people. So it's been true for many, many years that wars kill mostly civilians, but that the diversion of the money into wars and into preparations for wars kills vastly more people than the wars kill directly. Uh, you know, and this will be true as far as I can see until the wars go nuclear. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that. But so 3% would solve global hunger, 1% well, would solve uh, the water crisis, well, to the degree that, of course, we, we, we will talk hopefully also about climate change and how that relates to what we're talking about. But um, so if we take 1 trillion, and, and now we used only 4% of that, right? What else can we do with the money if, if we had a peaceful world? Yeah, this is why I don't like it when people right, left or center politically say, let's bring the money home. Let's spend it on ourselves, on this little 4% of humanity that matters. Uh, let's stop aiding Ukraine and start aiding the United States. Well, first of all, it's destroying Ukraine. It's not aiding Ukraine. Uh, and second of all, if you understood how much money it is, there wouldn't be any need to distinguish between us and them or here and there. The problem is how to spend such unfathomable amounts of money. I mean, you go beyond the wildest dreams of any Green New Deal advocates with the Green New Deal you could make with a fraction of what you're dumping into wars. Uh, you know, you could, you could transform nations with actual humanitarian aid uh, and, and which no one has ever resented. You don't have any wars of terrorist groups angry that you provided people food and medicine. It's never happened. You know, you would make the, the United States vastly safer uh, with a global Marshall Plan without the Marshall Plan strings attached. Just give people money uh, for useful things uh, and you would be vastly better off and the world would be vastly better off and you'd be saving lives rather than taking them. Uh, you know, if you want, the only country the only country that's wealthy that hasn't figured out retirement or education. I mean, why, why should college cost money? It's ridiculous. You, you have more than enough money to pay for everyone's education from preschool through college, uh, taking a fraction away from the military. Um, you know, I, people like to mention other things like healthcare, but the United States already spends much more than it needs to on healthcare. It just wastes it on private insurance companies and so forth. Um, but, but we're rolling in money. Uh, the, the, the United States is absolutely awash in money. And, and the irony is this bill coming out of the house to give more free weapons to the Israeli government and pay for it by cutting the IRS's ability to tax billionaires. <laughs> well, you know, if you instead decided to actually tax billionaires reasonably and make them pay a decent share, well, then you, you, you know, and you refrain from giving the piles of free weapons to Israel. Well, I mean, there, there's just money beyond our imaginings. But that, that exactly symbolizes the whole situation, doesn't it? That um, those who are making a killing out of killing all over the world are uh, getting um, tax um, reductions or, you know, even 
ways to totally avoid taxes because there won't be the people who can look into what they're doing and actually take them up on it. And um, in the meantime, the money goes to killing more people. That, I mean, in a sense, that is the United States, isn't it? These seem to be the priorities, uh, and they're not the priorities of the U.S. public. Uh, when you poll the U.S. public, most people don't have the foggiest idea what the federal budget looks like. Uh, they can't tell you how much goes into military, but they will tell you consistently and have for my entire lifetime that they want less in the military, more in education, more in green energy. And the few times that pollsters have sat people down and showed them the budget and showed them what was where and asked them, what would you move? It's been dramatic how much they wanted to take out of the, I mean, practically reduce it to a normal country's military spending uh, and put it into environment and education. This is what the, the U.S. public wants. Uh, you know, there, there was a movement 100 years ago to require a public vote before the U.S. could could go to war. Now, of course, the U.S. goes to wars uh, without Congress, never mind the public, uh, and goes to wars just by shipping weapons. Um, and there's now a bill uh, or a little section in the military bill in Congress uh, from the White House to allow shipping unlimited weapons to Israel in secret. So it wouldn't be just doing it despite uh, opposition or outside of the usual laws controlling where you can send weapons, but not telling anybody. Um, and this is, you know, this is where the priorities are for the U.S. government. You have, you know, the vast majority immediately say stop bombing Gaza. That that's that was remarkable. I mean, it took it took a year and a half to get anybody to to say stop the war in Ukraine. Uh, but immediately, because of the grassroots organizing and educating for years now, for people to say stop bombing Gaza, and and you got you've got like six people in Washington who will say it, you know, one senator, uh, you know, so there, there's no representation uh, of where people are. Um, and, and it's not, it's not that people are incapable of caring about certain ethnic groups, you know, it's that they don't know and they don't see them. When people saw little videos of police murdering black people, it made a difference. If, if everybody in the country, instead of seeing the garbage that's on their televisions, saw what's in my little bubble I live in in social media, all the endless videos and photos coming out of Gaza, it would it would end immediately, you know. But but that's not what they're seeing. So let me ask you about Gaza. I'm Israeli American. Um, I've written two pieces in the past uh, 10, 12 days. Um, speaking as an Israeli about the need to um, to stop the the carnage that is going on there, and uh, both of them speak basically about peace. Um, I'm not saying Israel is um, a horrible place. I'm not saying you know I'm not attacking anyone. I'm saying. We need peace. And uh, what I'm seeing just from my own personal experience is that the notion of peace seems to be so offensive and so outrageous to some people that, you know, I've been called traitor. I've been called a self-hating Jew. Uh, people want to argue with me on social media and and um, in, in direct messaging. And it seems outrageous for an Israeli to want peace. <laughs> so I, I, do, you, do you have a notion of why peace is, is so outrageous to so many people? What, who doesn't want peace? Why won't, won't you want peace? <laughs> well, of course, they'll tell you they want peace, but they want it through war. They, they want peace, but not to oppose any wars. The way to get peace is through war and strength and deterrence and, and so forth. Uh, at least most of them will tell you that most of the time. I think a lot of people have not 
been conditioned to be able to understand the idea of opposing both sides of a war. Uh, and, and I mean, I have a friend in in Kiev, in, in Ukraine, who's being prosecuted for supporting the Russian invasion. And the evidence is a statement in which he repeatedly, explicitly denounces the Russian invasion, but in which he also opposes Ukrainian war making. And to, if you cheer for one side, then when you hear anything against your side, it simply is equated to supporting the other side because you've eliminated from your brain the idea that of any third alternative. Uh, and so if, if I say, you know, Hamas should not be murdering Israelis, as of course they should not, uh, then some people will hear that as, Israel should commit genocide in Gaza. And if I say Israel should stop committing genocide in Gaza, as of course it should, other people will hear that as Hamas should kill babies in Israel, you know, because they don't understand that there's another alternative, that there's the alternative of the enemy not being Israel or Hamas, but war. Uh, the alternative of promoting nonviolence and the rule of law by all sides, the alternative of pointing to the successes of unarmed civilian resistance, of looking to the greater success of the largely nonviolent first intifada compared with later intifadas, the, 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 the idea that saying I oppose the murder of Israelis and I also want to stop the murder of people in Gaza isn't just a polite thing to say. It's it's actually what you should think and believe because it's not right to murder people uh, no matter which side of which war. Uh, you know, this is what we have to we have to overcome. You know, when, when they did away with dueling between individuals and decided it was barbaric and should be a thing of the past, they didn't say I'm against one side of every duel and we should keep defensive dueling and humanitarian <laughs> rule of law based dueling. And, you know, they said the whole damn thing is barbaric. You know, <laughs> this yeah. is this is the case with war. Yeah, yeah. My guest is David Swanson. He's an author, activist, journalist, radio host, executive director of World Beyond War and campaign coordinator for Roots Action. You are welcome to join us at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also join us on social media at War Talk on X or whatever it is, or a public affair on um, Facebook. So, um, David, you just talked about, I think the way I would like to translate it is um, the limitation of human imagination. Um, or, or, you know, it probably not even is a limitation of human imagination, but it's the way we have been conditioned and taught to think and so the 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 limitation of our of many people's ability to uh, go beyond um, these things so how how do we help them understand that by um, saying that Israel should not sacrifice God knows how many babies and children and women and pregnant women and old people and, and disabled and for it's, I don't know, I mean, you know, I, I think I understand what's going on there, but um, that, that it should not happen, right? That what Hamas did should not have happened, that what's going on right now should not happen. How... You know, so I, I talk with these people who attack me um, and, you know, try to explain these things. They seem to be very stuck in that point of, um, like you said, I think, um, this dualistic thinking rather than what I'm trying to say, which is very simple, really. Peace is good. Peace is better than war. Let's stop the war and have peace. And everybody will live peacefully. And uh, everybody will have a much better world. And Israel will be a lot safer if it allows the Palestinians to be safe. 
How, how, what, yeah. what makes people understand these things? Well, it's obviously not a human limitation, which would be a lovely excuse for people uh, because there are, you know, there are human societies that have never known war and been incapable of imagining the horror of war and been traumatized when exposed to Hollywood movie violence and so forth. And, and it's not a limitation on U.S. Uh, or Western imagination because there are thousands of people uh, risking arrest uh, to resist it. Um, it's, it's a limitation of certain people who have chosen not to think it through. And I think uh, the article that you wrote, Esty, recently saying, what if Russia were doing what Israel is doing is the kind of tool that can get people to think, right? Because if you if you obey instructions, then you have to oppose Russia bombing people's houses, but cheer for Israel bombing people's houses, and then explain to yourself uh, what the difference is. And, and if someone's willing to think a little bit, then that's going to cause them to think. Uh, I mean, if a, if a mass shooter in a bowling alley in Maine said, oh, well, I'm defending myself from Hamas, would that then be okay with anybody? <laughs> of course not. Yeah. If the U.S. government caught that mass shooter in the act, not found his body days later, uh, and said, sir, could you please stop shooting everyone? Here's some more bullets. Here's some more bullets. Here's some more bullets. Would that strike you as the best approach to getting him to cease shooting anyone or would that seem nuts to you uh because this is the u.s government relationship with israel why we, we we are emphatic that you should stop stop murdering people in the west bank for goodness sakes and maybe murder people a little more slowly in gaza but here's more weapons piles and piles of more weapons for free please use them this is not sanity, right? And it, it can't make sense to anyone who stops and thinks about it a little bit. Um, you know, the, 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 the weapons around the world are principally manufactured in the United States. The United States claims to want a more peaceful world but it arms it to the teeth. You want to allow the people of Ukraine, the agency to decide everything for themselves. Well, let them manufacture their own weapons. Let the world manufacture its own weapons and, and we'll have a much more peaceful place. The U.S. says it's about the rule of law. What law is being upheld by these mass killings? The U.S. is the world's leading abstainer from and shredder of treaties it was previously party to. It is party to the fewest basic human rights treaties on earth, is the leading opponent of international bodies, the International Court of Justice, the International Criminal Court, punishes nations for supporting these things, is the top abuser of the veto at the UN. Who just voted against ending the blockade of Cuba? Two nations on earth. The United States and Israel, you know, there there is a rules-based order, but the United States is outside of it uh, and could choose to join it. Uh, and I think the facts are very clear to if anyone's willing to, to think them through. Uh, I mean, Ukraine and Russia both say we're going to win total victory tomorrow. They've been saying this for a year and a half, uh, and we cannot negotiate with a monster. The other side is a monster you can't talk to, right? While simultaneously successfully negotiating on prisoners of war, on returning children, on returning corpses, on safe passage for ships, et, et cetera. Uh, so it, these things don't make any sense. Two days ago, the, the commander-in-chief in Ukraine said it's a hopeless stalemate. You know, we're getting nowhere. A couple weeks ago, the New York Times published a map showing how much territory each side had gained since January 1st, and it's not enough to bury the bodies they've killed in gaining that territory. And yet I'm supposed to believe the people a thousand, thousands of miles away from Ukraine who say, oh, we might have victory by next week. Just, just believe. You know, I think I think a lot of this doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I agree with you. Um, so let's talk about some other aspects of wars that are maybe not as obvious as they're killing a lot of people. And I want to start with species extinction. And that's because, um, so I'm having a hard time sleeping nowadays, right? I uh toss and turn and uh, turn and toss or whatever. And um, 
and and thoughts come to me and one of them that came to me is that um in the north of israel there's this place called the hula where at this time of the year hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of uh, storks and cranes congregate on their way from Europe to uh, Africa. I was there some years ago during this time, and it was an unbelievable scene, right? You see a huge sea of birds, and the noise is incredible, and it's so alive and so... It's such an amazing scene, and I was thinking, goodness, right now there is, you know, some degree of fighting in the north right there. What is it doing to all these amazing birds? And, you know, there's definitely people who care more about birds and animals than about people. And uh, in this case, this contributes to species extinction, I believe. So let's talk about that. Well, there's no question that war making and war preparations and weapons testing are huge destroyers of the natural environment. Uh, even just in terms of things like carbon emissions, militaries uh, are a huge chunk of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, several, several percent, something under 10 percent, but enough that the governments go to the trouble of excluding militaries from all the climate agreements on carbon emissions, uh, as if the militaries have some other planet's atmosphere to be destroying uh, and everybody else destroying this one. Uh, and that's not counting uh, the weapons manufacture and the weapons testing or the, the repercussions of all the destruction, billions and billions of dollars of destruction, uh, trillions of dollars of destruction from these wars. Uh, and when you use things like depleted uranium and white phosphorus and cluster bombs and you leave them behind in places like Ukraine for generations to come, uh, the disasters are are mostly in the future. Uh, I mean, and, and places don't recover quickly. Uh, places full of mines are still full of mines decades later. Birds don't go to Afghanistan. They stopped going early. Uh, in, you know, all the migratory birds that went through Afghanistan, all the forests that were destroyed, uh, you know, that, that's not recovered. You know, there, bombs go off every year in Germany, great U.S. ally, loyal sidekick that the United States dropped in World War II. You know, the the ocean is full of ships, uh, in, full of poisons, full of things like mustard gas uh, from World War II. And, and everyone knows the poisons last longer than the ships. You know, in the beautiful Italian harbor of Bari, uh, Italy, everybody knows there's a U.S., ship full of chemical weapons sitting in, in the bottom of the of the ocean uh you know and and the nuclear weapons of course are the worst of it uh the results of the testing the results of uh of the storage and the waste uh and we have the opposite mentality of what's needed when you look when you go to the holy propaganda site of pearl harbor and they've left the ship that the Japanese sank, you know, a few feet into this shallow harbor, they leave it leaking oil and they admire the beautiful colors of the oil leaking oh. into Pearl Harbor. And they they pray to the sacred rainbow colors of the glorious uh, justification for how many hundreds of wars now uh, instead of cleaning it up a and not unrelated. They've poisoned the drinking water. Uh, of the people of the whole island with their fuel storage tanks. So, you know, we need a complete revision of our of our priorities. Yeah. So uh, war is bad for climate change. I mean, just think about um, Israel has said that it has dropped 10,000, 100,000 munitions just on Gaza City. So not not on everything else which I don't know what that means, but I know that there's endless um, toxic 
smoke over Gaza, which is in the air, so it doesn't stay in Gaza, right? It goes to Israel, it goes to Egypt, it goes all over. Um, so, yeah, so, so obviously war is very bad for climate change. Or, or it really um, expedites climate change. It's... Um, very bad for pollution it's very bad for um, species extinction so right there you ask what where is the safety where is the security that war brings us and then I would like to add for people who consider themselves feminists the 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 forced prostitution and sexual abuse in and around bases and like we said the United States has the most bases in the world and they're all over the world and then um, other countries have bases too so let's talk about that aspect also well let's be clear in terms of foreign bases bases outside of the country that owns and operates them the u.s has almost all of them uh you know there are a couple dozen bases that belong to a handful of other countries uh, most of them u.s allies and weapons customers uh but the united states has uh, somewhere approaching a thousand depending how you count them bases in other people's countries this is not a normal thing this is a u.s only thing. Uh, some of these bases, the, the populations were driven out of their, their lands to make room uh, in an era when conquest was supposed to have been abolished. Um, and uh, I, I think we need to understand that, that this violence backfires, that, uh, you know, not only is the pollution going to float over Israel, uh, but uh, the vengeance, uh, the rockets are, are going to come to Israel, uh, just as the idiots, I'm sorry, who fired the rockets at Israel had to have known that Israel was going to fire back a hundredfold, just as Vladimir Putin had to know standing up to NATO, supposedly his motivation was going to empower NATO beyond NATO's wildest dreams, just as the U.S. has to know that bombing and occupying and stationing bases in all of these countries generates hatred and bitterness and violent blowback. Other countries uh, don't have global terrorist groups resenting them and targeting them because they don't do what the United States does. And when you spend more on the military, you get more wars. And when you put these bases in areas of the world, you are more likely to have wars, not less likely. Uh, you know, so this notion of, well, we'll spend more on the military and get fewer wars and be safer that way has been just blatantly backfiring for, you know, over a century and, and, and people will still tell it to you. Uh, but if we didn't do this, we wouldn't have the risk of nuclear apocalypse. If we didn't do this, we would have no justification for government secrecy. We could know absolutely everything our government was doing because you wouldn't have the excuse of enemies. You could have cooperation among governments on non-optional crises like poverty and, and homelessness and climate and, and, and eco, ecosystemic collapse uh, if you didn't have the wars. You, the, these wars are preventing food shipments. These wars are creating and blocking the flow of refugees, uh, you know, on top of being leading cause of, of death and injury directly through the violence. Uh, so, you know, there's, there is nothing, nothing worse than war that you can use to justify a war. And if you want to pretend that war and genocide are two different things, you know, tell me which one we're looking at in any of these wars, because each and every one of them is both. Mm -hmm. So I want to dedicate the last 15 minutes or so to, um, okay, so what can be done? So question number one, of course, and I'm sure you hear it all the time, is haven't there always been war? Isn't, isn't it part of human nature and society? And then to add to that what we talked about earlier, the, the humongous profits that you can make out of um, killing people legally, <laughs> um, a lot more than you can illegally, 
Um, and of course, the United States um, worshiping the the golden calf. There's nothing more important than being way more rich than um, you could ever spend, at least to the higher echelon of uh, this country and society. Um, can can we get to a world beyond war? Well, of course we can. Whether we will or not depends on what we do and and everyone uh, in the world does. Um, but uh, this notion that uh, we've always had war and we'll always have war and it's somewhere uh, hidden in our genes, uh, you know, is is the most absurd excuse. Uh, people don't people don't make these kind of excuses for for good things, right? You don't you don't hear that uh, cooperation and generosity are just human nature because you don't have to have excuses for good things, although they're everywhere, all around us. Uh, but these are excuses. Uh, you wouldn't need billions of dollars in propaganda and advertising and recruiting and editing of Hollywood. Hollywood movies and manufacturing of video games if it was just going to happen on its own, uh, you know, and if you wanted to, if you want to blame humanity, then why not make the U.S. government resemble the other 96% of humanity? There isn't another nation on earth that comes anywhere close to spending 50% what the United States does on its military. So cut it cutting in half right now and and you've moved this 4% closer to the other 96% and they must be part of humanity too uh you know there is there is absolutely no reason uh that we can't have a reverse arms race that we can't have treaties uh upheld and understood and cooperation and disarmament there's absolutely you know why do they why do they want to use this latest excuse to start a new war on on iran because every time they've tried to start a war on iran people have blocked it the the protest and resistance has been too great and they haven't been able to start it well they're going to keep trying and they're trying now with the excuse of of what's happening in gaza uh but wars are prevented weapons shows are shut down shipments are blocked uh laws are passed uh you know the 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 notion that we're powerless uh is the very worst lie that they tell us. Um, we are absolutely not powerless. Uh, the, the impact just of a very small percentage of people marching in the streets and sitting in the U.S. Capitol is already significant. They are all, there, there's already a slowdown uh, in the push for war uh, with Israel in Washington, D.C., beyond anything we've seen in a year and a half with Ukraine because the activism has been greater in the past week than than what it's been in the past year and a half. So it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have Janet Parker on the line with us, who is the uh, one one of the members of the Madison uh, uh, World with Beyond Wars. Hi, Janet. Hi, ST. Hi, David. How are you all? Hi. Well, you know, um, surviving. <laughs> yep, yep. David, you put it so well. I'm just so glad to listen to you both, and I just want to make sure that your listeners, SD, know what's coming up. I wanted to plug two things. One is, as you say, SD, we've got a chapter in Madison of World Beyond War. So we are a local organization that is part of this global war abolition movement that David's the director of. And then David's coming here next Sunday. So not this weekend, but next weekend, we're going to have an event on campus at UW, and David is going to be speaking on a panel with people who disagree with him. So it's an event that you can invite your your uncles, your aunts, your friends, your neighbors who feel anything um, about the war in Ukraine, the war in Israel, Palestine, and uh, ask them to come and listen, listen to both sides. So um, it's at six o'clock at the crossing on UW campus, which is at Charter and University. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, Janet. Anything else you wanted to say? I think that's it. Thanks for coming in advance, David. Glad you'll be here in Madison. All I'm right. very looking forward to it. Thanks, Janet. 
Yeah. So, um, so you said, of course, we can um, prevent war. Of course, we can live in a world beyond war. Um, one thing you mentioned is that we could have a reverse arms race. And again, I ask how, because, you know, you're right, of course, there are people, I mean, here in Madison, we also have a lot of um, organizing to do with our members of Congress and um, and so on, to do with education. But again, the people who attack me and who I talk with are not right, not ready to change their minds. Um, and a lot of others don't care, you know, they don't care. Um, and, and so on. And so, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of versions of that. How do we change that? Well, assuming any of those people who completely disagree with you are still listening after an hour, those are the people we want to invite uh, to engage with us, uh, including at the event uh, on November 12th uh, at the University of Wisconsin. I I'm tired of talking with people I agree with on yeah. everything. Well, you know, what's the point of that? I want the people who believe there's some justification uh, for the mass slaughter of wars uh, to come and explain it to me and persuade me and I'm open to changing my mind uh, and to listen to me and be open to changing their minds. This is, you know, this is the basic foundation of democracy, that stuff that all these wars are supposedly killing all these people in the name of. Uh, if we can't sit down and talk with each other and consider each other's arguments and points of view without calling names, without throwing things, without accusing people of being paid by some evil dictator, uh, but actually take seriously what they think and see if it doesn't make any sense, uh, a little bit of sense or total transformation of worldview, uh, you know, then what are we? <laughs> what are we? What are we? working for, fighting for, killing, dying, or living for, uh, if we can't do that. So, uh, you know, I, I actually, in my experience in this job for years, uh, when I talk with, with groups for an hour, uh, and I poll them at the beginning, at the end, at the end, what they think about war, uh, it changes dramatically. Hmm. And whether that change lasts for many hours once they've left the room, I have no way of knowing in most cases. But, uh, you know, th there there's not a problem in ability to think so much as in time to do it and access to information. Most of the most important facts about war and peace have never been mentioned uh, in any major corporate media outlet. Uh, and so it's helpful to get people in a room, tell them things they've probably never heard before, uh, and and consider uh, what makes sense and what doesn't. Yeah. Well, we have one last caller. Um, Steve, you're on the air. If you can be brief, please. Yes. Uh, Mr. Swanson, the foundation of American prosperity has been the defense and aerospace industries maintained by the export of weapons and the import of cash. Uh, wars must be encouraged and weapons consumed to keep the system working. The problem isn't just venal U.S. statesmen and rapacious corporate stockholders. The problem is the comforts of millions of Americans employed by Lockheed Martin and General Electric. Uh, you know, these otherwise conscientious folks are the ones to sustain the military-industrial complex. Uh, what to do? Thanks. Okay, thank you. Well... Uh, respectfully, uh, the war industry is not that big a percentage of the U.S. economy, much less the majority or the bulk of it. Uh, and it simply isn't true that spending money on the military and weapons and related jobs and subcontractors provides jobs and benefits to people. The, the studies by economists, including a well-known report from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, have been very, very clear. You spend the same dollars 
on education or energy or infrastructure, you get more jobs and better paying jobs. Even you don't tax the dollars in the first place from working people and you get more jobs and better paying jobs. So yes, military jobs exist. They're not fantasies, uh, but you would have more jobs by spending that money otherwise. So we transition and you have so much savings that you can train and retool and re-educate. No one has to suffer in the least in the process. How to do it has been well known for better part of a century. It's, it's finding the will to do it. Yeah, and we do have another last caller, um, caller who prefers to remain anonymous. Please be brief. Yes, um, as long as I can speak for myself, I'll just say my name is Diane. Okay. And I, I'll never forget what Eisenhower said. Our biggest problem, our biggest challenge is the military-industrial complex. And he was right. And I think if you vote Democrat or if you vote Republican, you are going to have people that kowtow and represent the military-industrial complex and all the money that flows from there, where we need to have like an independent party, a non-democratic, non-republican, or whatever lies they're telling, we need people that don't vote for either party because you're going to get war, right? Vote for someone that will actually listen to their constituents because it's a military, the warp speed and everything, that was military-industrial complex and wake up to the truth, and don't let people lie to you and believe this. Yeah. Well, thank you, Diane. Um, David, anything to add to that? (laughs) Years ago, I I wrote a book called War is a Lie to try to help people spot war lies before it's too late. Uh, And I think it's, it's very useful for people to train themselves a little bit. It's not that hard to recognize lies when they're coming across uh, your television screen or your newspaper or your radio airwaves uh, because we would not have any wars uh, if people spotted all the lies uh, immediately, which can be done. You don't need Freedom of Information Act requests decades later to spot obvious lies selling wars. Uh, It's just a skill that is not taught in our schools. Right, and that is one of the things that um, I'm, I'm on the news all day, pretty much, and um, I hear so many lies, and I hear so many obfuscations, and so many um, things that are not mentioned. Um, so it's, it's definitely possible to identify all these things, but you need to go through some education to get there. Yeah. Yeah, most of the most of the lies are false answers to false questions, right? Uh, point, if, yeah. if if all the weapons of mass destruction had been in Iraq, that would not have been any legal, moral, practical justification to bomb Iraq. It simply was not a good question. Never mind that the answer was false. And this is the same with the questions we're we're being given false answers to now in current wars. Yeah. Well. Um, David Swanson, author, activist, journalist, radio host, uh, executive director of World Beyond War, campaign coordinator for Roots Action. He will be here, as we already mentioned, November 12 at 6 p.m. at the crossing, 1127 University Avenue, to talk about, well, what else? Wars, right? Um, Ukraine among them. And um, you all are welcome to join. Thank you so much, um, David, for your work and for joining us today. And uh, hope to see you when you're here. I look forward to it. Thank you as well. Thanks. And uh, thanks, of course, to Summer and Jade and Evan, I think. I'm not sure, but I think so. I'm STD Noor. We'll be talking again next week. Thank you for uh, listening. That would never be reported Disregard the mainstream Media distorted We come and listen and support